Well, good morning. It's good to have you all here on this wonderful, crisp, wonderful morning here. Right? <laughs> it's summertime. Um, well, it is uh, great to have all of you here, uh, all of you who are joining us uh, online and uh, those in the chapel service. So we're going to wrap up this series. We've been in um, Better Questions, Better Decisions. And of course, the whole series has been about... Um, we all want to make better decisions uh, because, right, we're, that's going to equal a better life. And so how do you make better decisions? Well, one of those ways is, is ask yourself questions. If you've got a good question that will help shape what your answer will be to that decision, it's going to help you out a lot. So we've looked at everything from, um, like, am I being honest with myself to is there attention that I need to give attention to or what is the wise thing to do here? And this morning... Uh, we're going to look at a question and, and just what it deals with. Uh, and the question itself really, uh, in some ways, I think has more power to shape and change our lives than any of the other questions that we've dealt with. Those are all really good questions. Uh, and, the, and this is kind of a package deal on this. But this morning, this one is, is really important. And it's interesting when you see New Testament authors talking about what this question is centered in. Um, they give it the greatest amount of credence uh, in this. So Paul, who is one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, uh, he talks about this subject, the words uh, that you'll find in this question. And, you know, and I haven't told you the question yet, although like, you're, you're starting to figure it out. I can tell by the looks on your faces, right? When he talks about this, um, he says, if you don't have this, like whatever else you get, it's, like, it's, it's not worth anything at all if you miss this thing right here. Uh, Jesus, when he talks about this subject, he says everything, everything about the spiritual life that is important that you need to understand hangs, is dependent on this, this topic, these words. Uh, the New Testament, again and again, overwhelmingly, it's, it's repeated throughout the New Testament again and again, how important this is. Everything is based on this. That's, that is the strength of this. Now, what I find though, is sometimes it can be easy. We can get so used to this sometimes that it loses its punch. It loses its vitality, not because it doesn't hold it. It's because uh, we, it's like we become too familiar with it or something uh, in all of this. And so when we think about this, I, I really want you to take this question and let it be a question that challenges you, guides you as you make decisions because it is that dominant in the New Testament. And here's the question. Here's how I'm going to frame out the question this morning. What does love require of me, right? If Jesus says everything hangs on this, Paul talks about, like, you know, if you don't have this, you don't have anything at all. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, right? It is this dominant. What does love require of me? It is so simple. Yet here's the truth of it. It's hard. <laughs> Not hard because it's hard to understand it. It's hard because it challenges us to live in a way um, that is powerful, but at times, like, it, it's hard to go there. 
And so that's what I wanna talk about this morning. And I think this question, what does love require of me? It, it helps us get to that place in all of this. And honestly, I think this question, what does love require of me? We can use this as a question that will help us cultivate our conscience in a better and stronger way. It will uh, become a kind of compass that guides us in how we relate to family and friends and coworkers and neighbors or people that uh, we meet. Um, it will help us understand uh, scripture and how to apply scripture well. It becomes a, it just it becomes a lens for how to live a more spiritual kind of life in this. And I know that we talk about this a lot, this subject of love. And I think one of the things that can happen in this, again, is it's like, okay, I get it, but we lose the sense of concreteness to it, the practicality of it. So this morning, what I'm gonna do with this is I wanna, I wanna take it all, as, as much as I can to the practicality of it, because I think the more we understand love, it's like, wow, it is simple, but it's hard. But, but what it produces is so amazing. And the passage we're gonna break down this morning is out of uh, 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is one of the more famous passages about love. And I wanna just read the passage here first before uh, we begin to break it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four, it says this. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And you know, you read that and it's just like, that is so beautiful, right? Like, and we think about, you know, we hear it in weddings and, you know, it makes its way on, you know, artwork that we, we hang in our homes and stuff. And it is. I love this passage for weddings, right? It's a great wedding passage. But I want you to, I want you to remember this. It wasn't written so that Glenn Barteau could use it in weddings, right? It, that's not what its purpose was, right? It's great in a wedding. But its intention wasn't to just be a, a flowery, beautiful thing that, that we would idealize in a moment. He's writing this to a group of people that are struggling for how to be a community and struggling on how to live a spiritual life and struggling, okay, like how do we apply love? How do we live out love in a concrete way? And what Paul does is he says, let me make it really concrete. Let me tell you about what love is and what it does so that you can apply it. So that's what I want to do here with this. I want to take this passage and just say, like, this, this is simple, but it's not easy. And it should challenge us uh, in this. So as we talk about this, to help it become that concrete thing for all of us, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of someone or someones that can be a challenge for you to love, right? Who in your life is hard to love? Yeah, some of you are just like, oh man, yeah, you're, you're smiling because you know who, they, you didn't have to think about it long. If they're sitting next to you, don't get too excited, okay? Um, <clears throat> but I want you to think of that person or persons because I want you to make this really tangible. And as we go through this and talk about some of these things, I want you to constantly be taking it back to, okay, what does it mean to love this person specifically, 
What, what, is, what, is re- what does love require of me in this relationship, right? Because th- this will be powerful. It will move you forward uh, in all of this. So, um, got that person in your mind? Yeah, okay. So, we're going to dive in here. I want us to look back here at uh, starting in verse 4. And we're just going to see exactly what uh, love uh, is and what Paul says about it here. If it comes up, okay, I'm going to just do this. The first one is uh, love is patient. Love is patient. And you're like, oh, love is patient. Like, why, why do we start there, right? Because, you know, it's about patience. Now, I want you to think about this, not just in uh, patience in general, right? Like being a patient person with whatever. Think about it relationally. So if love is patient, that means that when you interact with that person, right, uh, love is not pushy. Love doesn't uh, jump uh, all over someone immediately, even if they're wrong, right? Even if you're right, even if you have a right to love, it's like, okay, I'm going to hold back here, right? Uh, Love doesn't nail them to the wall just because uh, you can. Love, love slows down. Um, Love takes a breath before you move forward. And, and here's a real practical side to this. And, and I'm going to ask you to do this. When I say love takes a breath, like that is something you can do to actually help you engage in a more patient way. You ever had a moment, like there's something with tension in it, and you're just like, oh, you find yourself doing that? That's because there's actually really something going on in your brain and your body that helps you to just be a little bit more patient in that moment. To take a breath, right? To inhale and then exhale a little bit slower than you inhaled. Actually, it, it, like, it does some really good things. It will actually kind of cool your amygdala, slows your brain down a little bit. You will think better in that moment. A better you will respond in that moment. So I want us to actually practice taking a breath right now. So uh, when I say take a breath, it's this idea you just get, you're just going to take in a nice slow breath, but you're going to breathe it out a little bit slower than you breathe it in, okay? So, so breathe with me. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Breathe in. <sighs> Doesn't that feel better already? Yeah. It's because it just calms it down. And there's something about patience. In a moment, right, there's that conflict and you're ready to, you're ready to speak right away. And maybe... What love requires in you in that moment is not to speak. And instead, just go, oh, okay. Yeah, you're bugging me so much. I need to take two breaths right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe don't tell them that. You just take another breath. You know? Now, this isn't huffing, right? This isn't, right? That's not this, right? Th- this is just a nice, slow breath. And it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, recenter me in what you want me to do, and I'm going to be patient. Ever have a moment where someone was patient with you? And maybe it's not until a little while later that you look back and you go, oh, man, they were so kind with me. They, they, they were patient with me. My challenge is, do that with that person that it's tough to love, right? Okay, so love is patient, and he goes on, and... Love is kind. Love is kind. Now, when you think about kindness here, I want you to think about kindness in a, in a very specific way. It, it takes on a number of different things, but I want you to think of it in a relational way. 
And I want you to think of it specifically in this way. There are oftentimes we're in a relationship where there is a dynamic, where maybe we're the one that knows more, has more control over a situation, uh, whatever is happening here. And there's something about kindness uh, that I want you to think about. And, and it's this. Kindness is love's response to weakness. I want you to think about that for a moment. And when I say weakness, it can be any kind of weakness. It could be just that one person has more working knowledge about something that a couple of people are seeking to endeavor. Maybe it's at work and there's someone and they, they've got experience or background in something. And, and one person doesn't need any of the knowledge or background the other person has because they've got everything that they need. But the other person... They don't have everything they need. They're, they're the weaker one in this. They're dependent on the other, but one person isn't dependent on the other one. Um, this happens relationally in a relational dynamic, right? Where there's someone who steps into a relational dynamic and they're the brand new person. They're the new person in the neighborhood. They're the new person in the group. They don't have all those relational connections, right? And maybe you do. Right? You know everyone in the room, everything. You step into that dynamic and you've got it figured out. You know it. Your relational needs, right? Are con you're connected. You're well. But there's a weaker person and they don't have that. They, they, they're maybe what? They're a little dependent on some other people to maybe reach out to them a little bit, right? And there's all these different dynamics where you see this kind of weakness. And it's not a bad thing. It's just... We find ourselves in a moment where either we're the weaker one or someone else is the weaker one in some way. Kindness is love's response from the person who's less weak to the person who's maybe in the weaker position. I saw this walked out at camp, high school camp, uh, really well. Uh, so apparently, and, and I wasn't in on this first part of it, apparently there was a moment when some of the incoming freshman boys, so uh, they haven't even, they're going to be a freshman this year. So they, they haven't even had one day on a high school campus as a freshman high schooler, right? They're the younger kids. They're smaller, right? They're not streetwise to high school life yet, right? And they decide to pull a little prank on the junior boys. And you're probably thinking, well, that's not very wise. I, they must have missed Stacy's message on the question of, um, you know, what is the wise thing to do? They should have come to that because if you pull a prank on the junior boys, right, so they're going to be high schoolers this coming year, the payback could be really kind of bad, right? Because you're the weak. They're bigger than you. They're stronger than you. Um, they're wiser to all things pranking. They just are, okay? Uh, but that's who they chose to pull the prank on. And, you know, and if you were going to do that and you're the weaker one, you should have done it in a way where they wouldn't know you were the ones that did it. But they didn't do it that way. They were known, right? And so now what's going to happen? Well, the junior boys are going to get them back. And so there was a moment halfway through camp when I walk into this common area uh, in the dorm that we were staying in and the junior uh, boys were there with uh, a couple of the leaders and they were having like, it was like the war room, right? They're planning their retaliation, right? This is the moment. How are we going to prank them back, right? And I'm like, you know, you know, the smoke filled room. It's like, we could do this and we could do that, right? And they're planning their thing. There was this great moment when one of the high school small uh, group leaders, Josh Parrish, is now advising um, one of the biggest guys, one of the biggest uh, junior boys on how to go about doing this. And as he walked him through, and I'm going to walk you through it here. He walked him through, right? He, here, here's, here's the principles by which I want you to live by 
as you plan and execute, you know, your retaliatory prank back, right? Um, the first one was this. He said, um, you, you can't damage them, right? You can't hurt them. No, no permanent marks or anything like that. You can't damage any property, nothing destructive. You can't wreck something that they own, right? You, you can't do that because that's not kind, right? Um, and then he went on. I love this one. He says, and please be creative, right? Their first idea is like, we're going to get super soakers. And he's like, you know, like we've been doing super soakers every day, right? There's nothing fun. No one's going to be telling stories someday about how you got out a super soaker and you got them wet, right? Every other activity we've been doing is, you know, involved that. Be creative, do something they wouldn't expect, something new, something we'll want to tell stories about in the future. But the one that made me sit up and go, oh, I love this, is when he got to the third one. And he says, and here's the thing, however you do it and whatever it is, how you do it and what it is should end up making them feel more included and more apart than before you did it. So, and he said this, he said, you know, uh, we kid our friends, we prank our friends. Like, he says, right, we, we enjoy a good practical joke with our friends. But in a moment where you do it in a way that, that hurts in some way, right, uh, we call that bullying. If it feels like it's separating them, then that's bullying, whatever it is. He said, when you're done, my requirement is that you make sure they feel included and feel more a part of it. And when he said that, I thought, that's why those younger kids prank the older ones. Because they want their attention, right? They're the weaker ones, and, and they, they, right, they just, you know, maybe it wasn't the wisest thing to do to, you know, to, to try and get some attention, but that's probably what was going on. And I remember this great big junior guy going, you know, this is a lot of work. I got to be creative and I got to, you know, make sure they're included. But Josh walked him through that. And I thought, I'm so glad this guy is one of our small group leaders. It makes me proud to be a part of this church. So uh, they went on and they, they executed their prank. And what they ended up doing was they went in uh, to one of the rooms and they got all of their stuff, got all of their stuff, but they memorized where it was in the room. They got all of their stuff and they broke into the room next to theirs, and they planted it in that room exactly the way it was in the other room, right? As if no one had bothered it, if it had just been, you know, teleported into the next room. And so then, you know, the freshman uh, guys, they walk into the room, and their stuff's not there. It's like, but this is our, that's our room. And someone's like, I don't know, weren't you in that room up there? No, we weren't in that room. That's our stuff, just, uh, and they're like, I... I'm really confused. I thought we were in this room, you know. And, and it was, they, you know, they were being pranked and didn't even know it at first. And it became this really funny moment that everyone was started talking about at camp in this thing. But here's the beautiful thing. The way they did it, right, it was like, I got you. But it did. In the end, it, it made them feel like, okay, I'm one of the guys now, right? Because that's the beauty of kindness. Kindness is, right, is the way love responds to weakness. Let me ask you this. When's a moment when you were in a spot where, where you felt like, gosh, I, I'm the one with the weakness right now. You were the one that, right, um, they switched, uh, you know, uh, computer programs on something at work. And you're like, I just learned the old one. 
and I'm around all these young people. They grew up on technology. They, you know, they've got this down and I'm still trying to figure this out. And it's just like, yeah, it's just like, and you just like, what did you need in that moment? Was there a moment where you were new to a group of people and, and you felt like the, like, okay, this is the awkwardness of trying to meet the new people and, you know, and, and like, how, will I fit in? Will I, you know, what was that like? What's a moment where you felt some weakness? Now, let me ask you this. What did you want most in that moment? What was that? I want you to think about that in your head because I want this to be concrete. What, what, it, what, what was it that you wanted most? Now, here's my challenge with this one, right? As Paul says, love is patient and love is kind. Now, that thing that you wanted most, here's my challenge. Give that away. In fact, I want to challenge you. Find someone this week and give it away to them. Whatever that is, because that's love. Because love is kind. Now, um, a couple more in all of this. And uh, this next one here, I, I want us to look at this. Um, I want us to actually look at three of them together here. He says, it does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. Now, there's, there's something in common between envy, um, boasting, and pride. And, and this is what it is. There's, there's something about those three, any of those three, when that dynamic is occurring in us, it it like blunts our ability. It interferes with our ability to celebrate others, right? So it's interesting. Paul gets to this point and he says, there's something I need you to hold back on because when we get into this, it keeps you from celebrating someone else. It keeps you from seeing the good or the beauty in someone else. It keeps you from engaging with them in a loving way. And love is something that celebrates other people. But if you get caught in these three things, it, it will keep you. It will interfere with your ability to love others in all of this. Uh, some of you may have seen, uh, there's been a kind of a story going on a little bit in the last couple of months uh, about... Uh, an incident that happened uh, back in 1994, I believe. Um, and it was the NBA playoffs. And the playoffs, it was the third game between the Bulls and the Knicks. And if you remember, this is that short, there was a window of like a, a two, maybe three years where Michael Jordan was off playing baseball, right? And the Bulls were kind of on their own, remember this? And so they've won three championships. They don't have Michael Jordan. Scottie Pippen has kind of become the star player, right? And now they're in the third game of the NBA uh, uh, playoffs and the score is tied with 1.8 seconds left in the game. And Phil Jackson, the coach, right, pulls the team over. Timeout, pulls the team over. They have the ball. This is the last play. Tie game. And his plan is, right, his plan is, uh, Pippen, you're going to have the ball and you're going to inbound it to the rookie coup coach. And he's going to take the final shot. Well, now think about Scottie Pippen for a second here, right? He played all those years under Jordan and loved Jordan. It was great. But now he's the star player, right? Jordan's off playing baseball. Pippen is the star player, right? This like he's getting to lead the team and all these different things. And for Pippen in that moment, it's like, I want to be the guy who takes the last shot. Like this is what started going on in this moment. And you know what? There's a part of this where I get that. 
right? I would totally understand. Who wouldn't want, like you're the star player. You would want to take the last shot. Like that's wonderful. That's great. But here's the thing about love. Here's the thing about love. Love says, yeah, there's going to be moments. There's, there's going to be moments where you're going to feel that tension. There's going to be some insecurity. There's going to be something you want. But you, you're not going to act out of that. You're not going to act out of envy. You're not going to boast out of your insecurity. You're not going to be prideful in a way because, you, like, I need to have the attention in that moment. What love does is it says that insecurity, that fear, whatever it is that I'm going through that produce all of that, I'm going to have to set that aside. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to work with that. And here's the truth. We all deal with those moments. Because if you don't, you're either in denial, right, or you're not a real human being, right? Because we, we all have those moments. But love says, oh, man, okay, I'm feeling this but I'm gonna set this aside so that I can act in a way that is loving. In that moment, Pippin had this really quick conversation with uh, Phil Jackson. It was like, I won't, I won't inbound the ball. Like it just, like that, it, like it hurt his feelings. Uh, like I'm just like, I should be the one taking the shot. He couldn't set it aside. And Phil Jackson said, if you can't do that, then you're gonna spend the last 1.8 seconds on the bench. Kukoch gets the ball. Another person inbounds it. Kukoch gets the ball and as a rookie sinks the winning shot in an NBA playoff game. What a moment for a rookie player. But who can't celebrate? Pippen. He has three championships. He's going to go on to have three more championships. But his envy, his pride, it kept him from celebrating one of his teammates. See, what does love require of you? This is hard. This is where when people say, oh, that love thing, that's not very hard. I'm like, no, <laughs> love is hard because sometimes love says, I'm going to have to set something aside here and Jesus and I will figure it out later, right? But right now, I'm going to trust all this to Jesus, and I'm going to celebrate somebody. I'm going to celebrate somebody who's hard to love. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to compliment them. I'm going to say something to them that lifts them up, that builds them up, because that's what love does. So now let me ask you, who is it in your life right now who needs a little celebrating? Who is it in your life that needs a compliment, needs some encouragement, needs a cheerleader for something going on in their life? And you're like, oh, yes, but there's, then you've got all these reasons why. Set them right over there. And just celebrate them. That's hard to do. But it's a beautiful and loving thing to do. Okay, so now, um, moving on a little bit more uh, with all of this. Uh, uh, a, a few more that I want to hit before we run out of time here. Um, he goes on in verse uh, 5, and he says a couple of things. He says, uh, speaking of love, it does not dishonor others. Now, when you think of it, I'm going to hit these next two kind of qu uh, quickly here. When it says, it does not dishonor others, understand that this is written in a culture and this was most ancient cultures. It was kind of a honor-shame culture. This was a dynamic that went on. It was so important to have honor. 
right? And the opposite of that was shame. And shame was a tool, right? Shame is powerful, isn't it, right? We've all felt shame at different moments, and it's powerful. It'll motivate you. It'll get you to change things. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're heaping that shame on yourself or whether someone else is putting it on you. It's powerful stuff. But what he's saying is, love, it does not dishonor others. It doesn't use shame as a tool. Because here's the thing. No matter how powerful shame is, shame always ends up tearing down. Shame tears down. And that is never the point of love, is it? Now, he goes on quickly, and I'm going to kind of put these together because there's, there, there's a correlation between these two uh, as well. He goes on and he says, it does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking, right? Ever have a moment where there was a relational dynamic that you were in, and all of a sudden you realized, I don't think they really care about me in this moment. They're just using me for some reason in this. Remember what that felt like? Didn't feel real good, did it? That's not love. It, and the truth is, whatever they were doing in the self-seeking nature of it, they, they were trying to control something. They were trying to control to get something from you or protect themselves in some way. And it was about control. Um, in the same way, dishonoring others, using shame, that is also about control, right? And there's just all these moments where we find ourselves, like, in, and again, Nothing wrong with, with wanting to navigate our lives and take control of our lives. It's just, there's moments where we can try and, and keep things under control in our lives and we want to start controlling others through shaming or dishonoring or by treating them relationally in a, in a selfish way. And here's the thing, what Paul's getting at is that that's not what love does. And, and here, here's the point. Love sees the person and the relationship first. The relationship comes first. There's always going to be moments that we're going to get something out of a relationship. Like it, we need that. That's a good thing. But there's a difference, isn't there, between a self-seeking and, and a kind of relationship that says, but the relationship is first. I value this relationship in this moment. Um, and so here's what this means. When you think about what does love require of me, and I want you to think about that relationship. You go, okay, there's the relationship that's that difficult relationship. Two things out of this, right? Uh, first one this is this. And again, think of this person. Give up control. Don't try to control that person. Because that is a really loving thing to do, is to not control them. Secondly, build them up. Encourage them. Instead of being self-seeking, start with the relationship. What is there in little ways or big ways that just builds them up? Isn't about getting something from them or controlling them that way. It's just, and maybe think about that. And here's my challenge. Find at least one way to encourage or build that person up this next week. And I know you're probably going, ah. Because love is hard, right? This is the spiritually deep stuff, honestly. Because to do that, you're going to need to depend on Jesus in your life a little bit. You're going to need to tap into his love for you. 
you're going to need to find some strength from him to say, okay, I'm not going to look to control that person, but maybe I can be a gift. Maybe I can encourage. Maybe I can build them up in some way in all of this. See, this is the power. This is the beauty of love. Now, um, <clears throat> uh, two more. And uh, one here, just, I don't want to skip it. It is not easily angered. Some of you may have a translation where it says, it is slow to anger, right? And, and notice, and I love this, it doesn't say, and is never angry, never gets angry. No, there's going to be moments when we get angry. But what it's saying is, it's recognizing that love is going to temper that anger. Whatever it is that is the source of that, it's like, okay, I'm going to slow down on this. I'm not going to jump to that place of anger in this. And what I would say just quickly with this, um, without trying to define anger in any way, is, is actually getting to this place. Um, this is a good time to use kind of a combo approach to, right, to not being easily angered. So some of the other things we've already talked about, like if you feel yourself, you feel the tension, you feel the energy in that, you know, uh, reach back and grab a little patience, right? Just, that'll help with the anger thing. Get some patience, right? Take that breath, right? You know, you walk in the room and you've talked, maybe it's with, uh, like with one of your kids, and you've said, will you pick this up? I need you to clean up your mess. And they use the words, I promise I'll clean up my mess. And then you walked in, whoops, you walked in, and they didn't, right? And you're like, crap, right? That's time, just take that breath, Oh, yeah, this kid needs like two or three more breaths. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Then maybe add in a little kindness, right? Tap into a few other things, right? Okay, so now I, I want to end on this, this last one here, okay? Um, and it is, here's the other thing I love. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. This is about forgiveness, isn't it, right? The, right you, like you see that. But what I love is he doesn't just write and love forgives. Love does. But have you ever had a moment where maybe you weren't at your best, right? You weren't at your best and it's just, oh man. And you apologize to someone and they forgave you and it was all good, right? You're forgiven. But you could sense that whatever that low moment, that weak moment was that you had and you were forgiven for, that's kind of shaped their view of you. They now look at you and it's kind of like, oh yeah, you're, you're the person who lost their temper. You're, you're a, you know, that's, that's who you are. I think about the story of Scottie Pippen, right? Uh, it would be really easy to, you know, read articles on this story and what happened and go, oh yeah, that's Scotty. Scotty is just the powder and the, you know, the, the prima donna and he just, like, and just, and define everything about Scotty Pippen off of one low moment where he wasn't his best self, right? And what Paul is saying is, mm, love doesn't do that. Love, love doesn't record that and define you. Right? Let me put it this way. Love doesn't define people by their worst and weakest moments. Isn't that a gift? No one wants to be defined by, by their weak moments. That's not how we're defined in this. Love lets that go. Here's what love does uh, do in all of this. Now, 
I'm not going to be able to go through everything in this whole passage. There's a whole other verse after this one. So I, I decided this earlier. So the next time I have a Wednesday night where we kind of do the teaching and the connection and everything, I think that's in two weeks. I, I think I'll come back to this and we'll, we'll go through a more of this that I didn't get to go through in this. So join me for that if you want to get into the rest of this. But let me say this. You know what you see love doing very clearly in Scripture and even in this uh, passage here? And, but I want to use it to kind of wrap up this whole morning here. Love assumes the best in others. Love rejoices just in the truth and of the best of you. So think about this. It doesn't, love doesn't define you by your worst and weakest moments. It looks with hope and rejoices in the best of you. Right? That's what love does. Ever have someone that treats you that way? Ever have someone, and they know the worst of you, they've seen you at your weakest moments, but there's something about them, that you, and you just feel it when you're around them in whatever it is. They see you in a different way, and there's something energizing by that, isn't there, right? And the other, it just, like, it takes something away. Uh, there's a pastor by the name of Anthony Campolo, and he tells a story of he was traveling on a commuter train, uh, a long time ago, and there was a dad on the, on the train who had three or four kids, and they were kind of running around. They were getting kind of rowdy. They were even bumping into some of the pas passengers, and they were being loud and just not polite at all. And it started bothering a number of the passengers on the train, and the dad was just like oblivious to it, didn't pay any attention to it. And Anthony uh, explains, he said, I was a little frustrated by it, and I could tell the other passengers were getting frustrated by it. To, like, we were talking about it, and I was just like, you know, what kind of dad is this? And we're kind of, uh, without realizing, we're kind of going down this path. Well, you know, this, you know, this dad, you know, he doesn't have control over his kids and he just not paying out all this stuff. And Anthony Campolo, you know, like being a pastor, he said, you know, after one of the stops, I, f I felt the need to go and talk to this dad about, you know, help him out with his parenting a little bit. <clears throat> and so he goes and he uh, very politely, but in a little bit of a confrontational way, approaches this guy and says, hey, your kids are being kind of rowdy, and you know, as a dad, maybe you da 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 And he said, the guy responded, and he said, oh my gosh, you're right, I am so sorry. I just, here's what he said. Their mother died in the hospital this morning. And I, yeah, change of perspective, huh? I just wanted them to have this night at home in their own bed with me there. And I guess I'm just like a little checked out and, and just trying to figure things out. And Anthony Campolo's just like, oh my gosh. When I understood the whole story, how I was defining him as a dad changed. And I wanted to start seeing him in a very different light. You know, all of us can be seen in different lights, can't we? If you define me at my weakest and worst moments, I don't want that, right? That, you know, that's because that won't be that great. But isn't it a gift when someone sees you in the best possible light, when someone assumes the best of you, finds the thing to rejoice in you? That's love. That is such an amazing gift. So here's my challenge, right? When I said love is not easy, I meant it, right? When we think about the person in our lives that is hard to love, one of the most spiritual, one of the most mature kinds of things we can do is to love them. And part of the way of loving them is to say, okay, I'm not going to view them and define them 
by the word. And it's not that you ignore that. It's still a reality. But I won't see their humanity through the worst of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back and with love, I'm going to assume the best of them. So my challenge is that person, find a way to love them this week that sees the best of them, that assumes the best of them, something good that you can rejoice in. And you, my friends, are moving down that path of spiritual maturity to begin living out of this in the most practical ways. Well, um, I'm going to close out here uh, with a song. In fact, our worship team has prepared a song here this morning. Um, and I want you to, as you listen to this song, I want you to think about this passage in the totality of this whole series. That this series is about, right, all of these questions making better decisions, but with the understanding of your, your life is a story. You're, what is the story that your life is going to be? And these questions help us shape that story, but here's what I want you to know. You are not alone. These questions will help you, but even in the help that these questions offer, know that, that you are never alone in asking and answering these questions. God is with you in crafting and writing and shaping the story of your life. You have someone with you in that. And I want you to just let this song speak and draw your heart towards the God that is with you in the story of your life that you're telling. And then I'm going to come back out and I'll close this in a minute. the story I'll tell 
God is always, always, always with you. 
And the question, what does love require of me, will never steer you wrong. That question will help you in any, any moment. Um, if you're here this morning and maybe you're in a spot in life where you just, you just need some people to be praying for you, we've got some wonderful people in our prayer uh, place over here that would love to pray for you. And if you're new or visiting or you and I have never had a chance to, to meet or say hi or shake hands, I'm going to be right over here and I'd love to just um, say hi to you and shake your hand here this morning. Why don't you stand and I'm going to close this in uh, prayer as uh, we get to just uh, celebrate and enjoy this uh, Fourth of July a weekend here. Let me, let me pray. Father, we're just so grateful um, for your love and for your grace and just how your love is extended to us with patience and kindness and beauty and the best assumptions. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us through your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Have a great morning and we'll see you next Sunday.